Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 16. I appreciate you all praying for me uh, this week and enduring with me last week as my voice was almost completely shut down is, and is maybe now at about uh, 90%. I don't, I don't know. Maybe so, I did notice the sermon was uh, maybe a 26-minute uh, or last week instead of a 30, 32-minute or so. I'm not sure how you all are praying. I'm watching. I'm watching. I, I know how you work. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 we're going to look at today, and Lord willing, uh, my, vo- my voice will hold out for our time together in God's Word, in the preaching of God's Word. Uh, we are looking at this book of Philippians. Uh, if you uh, need a pew Bible, there's one at the end of the pew. The, the book is found in the New Testament uh, well after Romans and Acts, but before Hebrews and Revelation right there. It's just four chapters. This book written by the early church leader Paul to a church in the town of Philippi, just north of the Mediterranean Sea, a place where he had been involved in establishing that church just 15 years prior. Paul writes to them from prison. He's in prison for proclaiming the gospel as he writes to them. And he's not sure if he's going to live or he's going to die. Those words were certainly pertinent to them. They're pertinent to us today. And last week we looked at one of the major themes of the book of Philippians, this reality that we are called to count everything, even outwardly sort of religious and morally good things in our life, as loss, in fact, the Apostle Paul says, trash, rubbish, compared to the surpassing work of Jesus Christ, his righteousness on our behalf. He reminded us that there's a a great danger in our lives, not just sort of towards going off into some obvious and, and observable and culturally condemnable sin, but there's also a great danger in the spiritual life to putting confidence, to putting trust in our own religious or moral performance, either one can have the propensity to take us away from Christ and the glory and beauty of the righteousness that we have only through Christ and through faith in Him. We saw that last week. As we look today, we will see in these verses that that reality of Christ's righteousness laid down on our behalf should transform us. It doesn't mean that we put our lives on cruise control or our spiritual lives on autopilot, but that it actually propels us to press forward, to press upward, to seek after the Lord in great zeal and passion. When we get the cart properly before the horse, when we understand that we receive grace, and that grace propels us towards the Lord, rather than our works and our righteousness gaining us anything before the Lord, that work of the Lord's grace propels us to seek Him and to seek Him passionately. So I invite you with that in mind to stand with me and we'll conclude with, uh, I'll read aloud to you and you read along silently, we'll conclude actually with verses 10 and 11, which we read last week. Paul here is telling uh, himself and reminding us of the goal of letting go of all this self-righteousness. And then he's going to describe to us how we can press ahead and press on into a deeper relationship with the living God. He says in verse 10, that he lets go of all of this, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection 
and may share even in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray for us again. Oh, Father, I do thank you for uh, just the blessing of giving me my voice back and the joy of proclaiming the truth of your word. Oh, God, may it change us this morning that we would become people who are inflamed in our hearts to passionately press forward towards you. Lord, do that. Work, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've shared occasionally in the past, one of the most interesting bits of American history to me is the journey that Lewis and Clark took. Some 7,000 miles that they covered into this territory of the Louisiana Purchase that for all intents and purposes was a, a gift to the United States. If you know anything about it, it was purchased for $15 million. That comes out to three cents per acre. For all that territory west of the Mississippi that had yet to be explored up into the northwest all the way almost to current day Seattle. Off went these men. It wasn't just Lewis and Clark. If you know, there were some 50 or so who were involved in this team. They were called by the president, appointed by him, given this high calling, and pressed out into the wilderness to pursue this goal. Was it a cakewalk? Was it an easy-going journey for this team? No, in fact, one statistic that has always fascinated me about this journey will help us see how much physical effort was involved, and it will make the nutritionists and the cardiologists among us gasp. The average man working on that crew with Lewis and Clark consumed nine pounds of meat every day. That's exerting some effort. That's exerting some passion. And, of course, not just physical effort was involved in this, but they had to make decisions along the way, diplomatic effort involved in relating to the various Indian tribes that they encountered, and, of course, intense psychological effort to keep going even when things looked bleak. Well, why? Why all this pressing out into the wilderness, this obvious straining physically and otherwise to reach a goal? To reach the prize in this case of being able to see 
the Pacific Ocean and to map the way there. Can you imagine what that must have been like? It was over two years round trip. So imagine walking sometimes at literally a snail's pace and coming finally out to see that huge ocean before you, that prize. Well, of course, it's not just journeys of national exploration that are worthy of our efforts and exertion. And, of course, that prize of living down through the history books, even mapping this country, even seeing the beauty of that Pacific Ocean, as we look at these verses, the Apostle Paul will remind us, doesn't compare even one one-hundredth to the beauty, to the glory of the prize of experiencing the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing Him. Just as those explorers pressed up the Missouri River, upward and upward into the heights of the Rocky Mountains, so we're invited. The Apostle Paul invites you and I to press upward into our relationship with the Lord. There is an opportunity to grow. There is a chance to experience greater glory and greater knowledge and greater depth of Him. And He's inviting us to press forward to it. Back of your worship guide has a section if you'd like to follow along. And I think the main idea that the Apostle Paul conveys to us here is this. We must press towards God's, and I want to add the word there, high calling. We must press toward God's high calling for us in Christ. Why? Because He has called us His own in Christ. Because in Christ, He has called us His own. Now, even at this point in a message like this on Sunday morning, we may be distracted by various other things. We may look at this and say, well, um, I've tried that, Chris. I've tried to press seriously into my relationship with God, and it's just not happening for me right now. We may be struggling with this because we're distracted by the many things of life, or we might be struggling with it just because we're caught up in the sins and the idols of this world. The beauty of the gospel of grace is that it frees us today. Even if we haven't been walking this pathway, even if we're reluctant to begin walking it because we feel like we've failed in the past, to be freed up, refreshed, renewed today, to press again into this kind of upward call and relationship with the Lord. Part of it might be that we're a little bit confused on this grace thing. Perhaps we have tried, and it was a little bit like we saw last week with the Apostle Paul. We've tried and exerted our human effort to get closer to God, and it doesn't seem to have materialized in much depth or relationship with God. And so, as we often do, the pendulum swings back to the other side. Couldn't do it by my own strength, so maybe I just won't do it at all. Maybe it's even a misunderstanding of this grace thing. If it's really all of Christ, if our righteousness is in Him, if we receive that credited to our account the moment we trust in Christ, why press on? Why? Strain. Why do all of that effort? 
course, the scriptures remind us, and they are reminding us here and many other places we'll see in a minute, that in fact, it's exactly what we ought to be doing in the Christian life, that we ought to elevate the reality of God's grace in our lives and that free forgiveness, and we ought also at the same time to be elevating our drive, our passion towards the Lord. The two things are not in conflict or contrast. They're not on a seesaw. They're both to be lifted up high in our lives. Let's take a look at this passage then, and we'll see three things. Uh, Where we were, where we are, and where we're going. And before we talk about those, we'll take a second to do a little lead-in and talk about who we are. Because everything in the Christian life about what we do or where we're going begins with who we are. Philippians has already reminded us of that. But even in these particular verses, look with me at verse 12. The Apostle Paul says he presses on to make it, make this prize, this reality, this knowing of God his own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Jesus purchased us for himself. We belong to him. Like that, President Jefferson appointing those men to go out. We're called to someone first and then sent out to pursue the Lord. Look in verse 14 as well. It says the same thing in a little shorter way. Uh, The very oft-quoted verse of the Scriptures, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So it's in Christ that we are called to experience this. It's because Christ has purchased us. It's because He loves us. It's because we're His own that we're to then press on. It's like, if you will, uh, we talked about this idea of union with Christ a few weeks ago, but it's like that bookmark. I've got a little sheet here. Let me find that bookmark. It's like this bookmark that you put in the middle of a book and close that book up. And we have been placed in by God's gracious working into Christ. And wherever this thing goes, whether it's over here or sitting over here or I let it down on the floor, it's in there. We are placed in there with Christ. It's because of that linkage, that gracious opportunity to have a relationship with the Lord that we then should, ought, in the normal process of our spiritual relationship, should want to respond and press up to experience more of Him. I had a start at last week's verses, verse 10, because Paul tells us there a little bit more about what this sort of prize is, what it is that we're pressing to. In verse 10, if you look there with me, in chapter 3 of Philippians, he says part of this is knowing Jesus, experiencing resurrection power, His power in our lives, even sharing in His sufferings. We focus in on the, the suffering part of that, but it's an opportunity to share life with Jesus, with the Lord of the universe, becoming like Him even in His death, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Well, how do we move towards this? Three things that will help us to understand it, where we were, where we are, and where we're going. And maybe a little picture to set the stage for this as well. 
some of you have heard a rock climbing story or two of mine in the past. I won't go through any details of some of those. And I know we have a few out here in our midst that have done that in the past or maybe are crazy enough to do it in the future. I got these four little ones now, so probably need to cap off the uh, rock climbing expeditions. But when you go rock climbing, it's interesting. Um, Rock climbing involves a lot of who you are. Rock climbing, you've got to have the mental uh, stamina to look up at a rock face and believe that you can be able to climb that thing. You've got to be able to do that. If you're a good uh, rock climber, you've got to not only have hands and arms that are strong and so forth, but actually your legs and your feet, your whole body has to be tuned to this exercise. And as you begin to work up that face, there's usually a spot, whether it's a long way up or kind of just a shorter climb, where you reach this point and you've been exerting yourself, you've been climbing, pressing upward and straining, and then you have a chance to pause for just a minute or two. And your feet are on a fairly stable spot. You're not having to just, you know, grip with with all your grip. You've got a little bit safer spot there, and you've got a chance to sort of rest your hands what, do you, what would you want to do at that point? Well, you look back down, for one thing, and see where you came from. You want to look around and kind of see where you are at that point. And then the big thing you want to do is take a look up ahead after you've taken that little break and look back and look where you are and see, okay, what is the next step for me? Where do I grab next? Where do I put my foot next? And I think that's for us today to think about spiritually. As we think about pressing ahead, what's the next step for us? Let's talk first for a second about where we were. It's interesting. The Apostle Paul in his verse 13 here says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead the first step it seems according to the apostle paul to this moving forward this climbing up is to actually let go of what's behind us and what he's talking about here is the fact that things behind us in our life can create a great weight to us there might be areas of sin where we've wandered away from the Lord as a believer or before our time of being a believer where we wandered away and they can feel like an incredible weight that keeps us from being able to move forward. The Apostle Paul says you've got to forget what is behind. And I don't mean forget in the sense that we become ignorant about areas that we struggle with sin and we aren't guarded in those areas because we should be. But forget it in the sense that the psalmist tells us to forget us. That God has said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. I've shared before about my first summer in a a summer ministry project I was doing uh, my first year after college. And I had become a believer two or three years prior to that. Uh, The things that I had done in my life before that as a high school student, I am not proud of. Those things in my life, when I received Christ, I knew that I had been forgiven of. So I genuinely experienced that. But then two or three years went by, and that summer, for some particular reason, I could feel in a very tangible way the guilt, the shame, 
the weight of those things from my past, and I could not let them go. There were some things that had stirred them back up. And I had to come to a place, and it was finally a place of great joy, when I realized that I had not only sinned in the past, ignoring God's Word by doing those things I had done, which indeed were sinful, but I was now adding insult to injury and ignoring God's Word again by holding on to them when He had told me that He's let them go, that I'm forgiven and released of those things, and they need no longer hold me back. One of those things for you today that seem to keep circling around and bringing that guilt back to the surface. Again, I'm not saying you ignore that or pretend like that's not a reality of your story or your struggle. But by God's grace, folks, we don't have to be held down by those things anymore. We're to put those things behind us. Second thing the Apostle Paul points us to is not just to look at where we were, but to look at where we are. Look with me at these verses again. Verse 12 and 13 are where he highlights this. He says, not that I have already attained this or am already perfect. And then verse 13, he comes back to the same thing. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Well, he's telling us in about two or three different ways that he's not arrived yet. And that's one of the other things that I think keeps us from pressing ahead. It's not just the weight of things in our past that we wish we could be rid of, but it's also the sense that we're already at the top. I'm already there. What more do I have to go on to? I'm at the place I need to be spiritually. And it's easy to think that in our culture. If you're at all serious about your faith, if you just go to church regularly and try to generally, in an outward way at least, conform your life to the things of the Bible, boy, you can look like you're miles ahead of everything else that's going on in our culture. It's easy to say, I'm there, I've arrived. Apostle Paul says, and listen, this is the Apostle Paul telling us this. You know all the things he did, all the things he suffered for the gospel, all the ways he gave his life to the gospel. He says, I'm not there. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't arrived. Maybe for you and me, there's some areas in our life where we look at it and part of why we're not really pressing ahead, we might not want to be honest with ourselves this way, but it's because I feel like I'm already there. I've already, I've already arrived where I need to be. To me, it's a little bit like the Apostle Paul's reminding us, you know, when you have company over for dinner sometimes and and uh, everybody kind of politely, maybe you got six or seven or eight or ten people there. Maybe it's a life group setting or something like that. Everybody makes their way through the line and grabs a bit of the food and the rolls and the meat and so forth and sits down at the table. And the big guys in the group, if they're being nice, they're, they're just going to get sort of a manageable plate. And you look up, if you're the host, after a few minutes, and you realize, well, these dudes have cleared their plates. I mean, there's not a scrap left on that thing. You sort of look out to the kitchen and you see those plates are still filled up with plenty of food. And what do you say? If you're a good host, you say, hey, there's plenty more out there. Go fill up with some more. 
That's a maybe more positive way to spin this. The Apostle Paul is reminding us there's plenty more for us to experience. There's plenty more joy. There's plenty more love of Christ to experience. There's plenty more understanding of heavenly realities. There's plenty more of walking diligently with Him. There's plenty more to be had. It's where we were. That's where we are. Let's talk for just a couple of minutes about where we're going, really the focus of these verses. Verse 12, Paul begins by saying, he presses on to make it his own. Again, all this because Christ has made him his own. And then verse 13, he says, one thing I do, he kind of sums it up. This is my focus, the, the, the succinct focus of my life, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Now you think about that parable of the sower, perhaps that you've heard in other places of the scriptures. And there's that seed that comes, and the seed is the word of God, and it's sown out on this different soil. What were the different kind of soils you remember? You had the rocky soil. You had the other soil where the birds came and picked it up. You had the soil where it started to grow and then the thorns grew in around it. And then you had that fourth soil where the plant flourishes, the plant grows, and it yields tremendous fruit. Some of this is just like that. The reality is that if we want to move upward into the Lord, we can't allow these thorns and thistles to grow around and choke up the plant of the gospel. You remember what those things were in the gospel? One of them says specifically was the desire for wealth. Another one, it says simply, or the desire for other things. Other things. What keeps us from pressing up into a relationship with God. It's not just the weights that we have. It's not just feeling like we've arrived. It's so many things around us that pull us away from that highest good. And so the Apostle Paul wants to remind us that this is a great prize. I love that word, the prize that we can attain. And we might ask ourselves, well, what, what if I don't want to do this? What if I'm hearing what you're saying, Pastor, but I don't really want to do it? Or, I want to do it, but I don't find in myself the ability to really run after the Lord that way. It's kind of like in the first case, the little boy you've heard of who was bowing his head and praying, and he said, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a pretty good time, just like I am. Might have that attitude, hey, I'm going along just fine. This prize, this upward call, this knowing Christ, that sounds, I guess, good in some ways, but I'm, I'm trucking along kind of okay the way I am. Folks, if that's our perspective, we are missing the absolute beauty and wonder and power of a flourishing, vibrant relationship with Christ. That's if we don't really want it. We may want it, but don't feel like we're making much progress. You've got in your worship guide a statement from uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, that British preacher back in the 1800s. I like what he says here, and you can read along with me if you want to. 
He says, the Lord knows right well that you cannot change your own heart. You say, I don't want to press ahead to this thing. I don't really care to run after God that seriously. Well, the Lord knows you can't change your heart, Spurgeon says. It would be a very wonderful thing if one could stand at the foot of Niagara Falls and speak a word which should make the river Niagara run upstream. He's saying, back up the waterfall. Leap up that great precipice over which it now rolls with stupendous force. Nothing but the power of God could achieve that marvel. But that would be a more than fit parallel to what it would take place in the course of your nature if it were altogether reversed. And he quotes a verse from later in Philippians. All things are possible with God. And listen to this today, folks. Whether you're coming here and you're just investigating Christianity or you're a young believer or you feel like you've been growing in the faith for a while, listen to what Spurgeon says. He can reverse the direction of your desires and the current of your life. And instead of going downward from God, he can make your whole being tend upward towards God. That is, in fact, what the Lord has promised to do. That's a beautiful reality, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing to experience this prize. Again, what is this prize? This prize includes all kinds of things. Paul doesn't define it. It includes the opportunity that one day the Lord will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. It includes this crown of righteousness that we'll experience. It includes, as Revelation 22 would tell us, the privilege of seeing God's face, of beholding Him face to face. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 maybe gives us a good closing summary of it. What would it look like to experience this prize? 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, It's what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. This is what the Lord has prepared for those who love Him. Michael Foote, or M.R.D. Foote, as he's known, served in the British Special Forces back in World War II. He and his squad of men were dropped behind enemy lines. They didn't last too long. They were relatively quickly captured, taken to a German prisoner of war camp where they were held. Foot pressed and strained constantly to escape. By the end of the war, he had in fact escaped four different times from the same camp. Each time he escaped, he risked his life. He was shot at. He was chased by dogs. At one point, he nearly drowned in a river. And another point, he broke his neck while escaping. And a friend of mine was able to be in a meeting with this man, Mr. Foote, and hear some people asking him questions, maybe some obvious questions that we might want to ask as well. This friend of mine heard one listener, and the listener asked, uh, Mr. Foote, were the conditions in the prisoner of war camp so horrendous that you needed to escape? He said, no. He said, in fact, the food, it wasn't great tasting, but there was plenty of it. And they actually treated us pretty fairly in this camp. 
All these people listening were amazed, and this listener asked then the obvious next question, why do it? Why risk your life? Wouldn't it be better to stay in the safety of the confines of that camp than to risk being killed? And Foote said this, which is telling for us today when we think about our identity as those who Christ has called his own. He said, well, that would have been the easy thing to do, to stay in the camp. But I was a British officer, and I did not belong there. Folks, as believers in Christ, we don't belong at the current place that we are spiritually. The Apostle Paul even says in the last part of these verses, he says, those who are mature or who are maturing will understand this. And some other people aren't going to get it. But we don't belong in this place because we belong to Jesus. That's our identity. And if it means climbing over a prison wall for you and getting over barbed wire, whatever that means for us, running across a field into the woods trying to escape, it's definitely worth the prize of running towards the Lord Jesus. Now, you may ask these questions. Well, is it supposed to be like that? Maybe the first few years of my Christian walk, I I really felt that way, but now in the 21st or 31st year of my Christian walk, is it supposed to still be the same way? Might ask also, well, what about stages in life? We've got the little ones at home now, or work is really demanding a lot of me at this point, or whatever. Things are pulling me away. And sure, there's going to be stages and phases of life. This takes different form and different fashion for each one of us. But folks, if week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, We look at our lives, and there is no movement upward towards Christ. No pressing ahead. That is a frightening thing. And what a joy it is if we would take those steps. It involves effort. It involves intentionality. It will involve purposefulness for us to grow in Christ in this way. The Apostle Paul invites us to it because, indeed, the prize is worthwhile. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, even for this challenging call that you give us today to press upward, to strain even, to experience more of you and to know the prize of walking with you and ultimate joy in eternity. Oh, Lord, capture our hearts again, even as you reminded us in these verses, that we are yours, so we should walk as yours. Capture us afresh today, that we might be released to press upward into this high calling of knowing you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.